is to meet him for the first time often. And so God has just been at work there. He's been at work through your prayers. And he's been bringing people to himself. And so we are just blessed by the power and the grace of God that we have a small church plant, a growing church plant of about 20 Italians. And that is meeting on the east side of Genoa. And that is our Jesus Encounter Church. And so to continue with our vision to see not just one church but multiple churches and to see this city truly transformed for Christ, our team feels called now to reach out to Genoa's west side of the city to begin to plant a second church. And we've already begun to do outreach out there. And we've also started our first Jesus Encounter Bible study on the west side. And so with that, our team has also come across, God has just again and again brought to our attention the fact that this is a desperate, needy city, and it is, and because of that, it's also, we, we've seen many different forms of, of godlessness in this city, one of them being that Genoa is one of the centers in Europe, we believe, for human trafficking. And so prostitutes are, are everywhere in the city, they, this, they're not there voluntarily, and they're forced from other countries to be there. And so our team is also beginning to pray about how we can begin to partner with our local church plant in Genoa to begin to also minister to these very desperate and needy women. So we ask for your prayers for that. Uh, Miranda and I are excited to go back. We, uh, we intend to go back actually at the end of the summer, and so we're well on our way to that. And, and God has just been faithful even in just these few short months of marriage. We've been married since February uh, to see that through, and we've been blessed to be able to serve for six weeks up at Seneca Hills Bible Camp as the missionary speaker. So I'm sure there's many of you in here who are many of your kids in here who we've had a chance to get to know. And we just ask for your prayers as we get ready to go back and to see through the completion of, of this church planning process there. And we're just so thankful more than anything that we have the support of our home and local church. And we really believe that, that God is doing incredible things there. He's breaking through barriers, spiritual barriers that have been there for centuries. And it's all through the prayers of the church. And that's what accomplishes it. So we see this as as just another outlet of the Ministry of Community Alliance. And so we're excited to partner with you. And we just ask you, as as you leave the service this morning, we'll be in the back, so please come and meet my wife. And please come and sign up for our email updates and, and grab a piece of information. But more than anything, we just want to say thank you this morning. Uh, for what God is doing through you and what he's going to continue to do through all of us. So thank you. Thank you, Dustin and Miranda. Please make sure you do that. After the service this morning, take the opportunity to go outside these center doors immediately to my left and get a chance to meet both of them, get to know them a little bit more. Those of you who have seen Dustin grow up certainly know him, but many of you don't. And he is one of our missionaries from our church, so we want you to get to know him well and be able to pray for him and them on a regular basis. He studied the history of Christianity over the last 2,000 years. Jesus said, I want you to take this gospel to the ends of the earth. And if you watch his start in the Middle East and then gravitate toward Europe as the world began to expand, you saw it then go from there to the United States. And now those places, the Middle East and Europe and the United States, are becoming more and more dark. And the light of the gospel has now gone to South America, Southeast Asia, and to Africa. And those, as you saw a few weeks ago with Pastor Bob uh, Featherland here, was some of the lightest places on the planet. Many mission agencies are now going back to some of these dark areas where it was so bright with the gospel, it is now dark again, as Dustin has said. 
and uh, sharing the truth there for countries that have been for centuries, centuries, centuries dark uh, with the gospel of Jesus. So get to know them and be praying for them. Also, uh, we do want you to pray for our uh, students and adults that are going to the Dominican Republic. They're leaving next Sunday morning. Donna, I saw you here this morning. They're leaving next Sunday morning at five in the morning or something like that, right? So they won't be here next Sunday. I don't know if any of you are here. I know they have a meeting in the second service this morning, but any of you are here that are leaving uh, next Sunday morning to go to the DR, you want to stand for a moment uh, in this audience? Uh, most of them are in the second. You've got some in the back. All right. Be praying for them. Nine days travel for Bill and Donna and the adult team to be able to thank you. For uh, them to be able to get them there, it's an enormous responsibility when you're a chaperone, when you're a youth pastor and wife, to be able to shepherd that many children and make sure they all get in the right place, the right time, and uh, get all their merchandise and luggage there. So really, really be praying for them. I know they would appreciate that very, very much. But keep them before the Lord in prayer. God's going to do some wonderful things through building BBS and a lot of entities they'll be involved in. And many of them are going to uh, a meeting right after this with their parents to find out what it's all going to entail. So uh, pray for them. I know they would appreciate that very much. You don't want to miss next Sunday morning. Dr. Ted Baer is going to be here, head of movie guide, founder of a Christian coalition in California, Hollywood, California. He really believes that media shapes the culture. And one of the most influential men in this area on that issue in all of Hollywood, California. He's going to be here next Sunday. He's here this weekend coming and ministering to a number of churches and just as only God would have it, going to be here next Sunday morning sharing from the pulpit in both services. Please invite somebody. We'd love to fill the house twice. Uh, one of the rarest opportunities you'll ever have to hear that kind of message. So we encourage you to come and be a part of that and uh, find out what God's doing and how we can be involved in that. God is really beginning to address some of those very primary issues as to how we can best influence the culture. And uh, Sherwood Baptist Church in, in the South is doing that in really phenomenal ways with Facing the Giants and Fireproof and now the one coming out this fall, Courageous, Soul Surfer and some of these other movies that are really trying to make a difference because people are heavily influenced by culture. So uh, be here next Sunday morning. You do not want to miss out on that at all. And I do want to appreciate Brad Shockey for filling in this morning and last Sunday in our time of worship together. A couple of weeks ago, I knew that I had one message after James was completed, before Dr. Bear next Sunday and, and my summer break. And so I kept asking the Lord over and over again, do you ever wonder how pastors choose what it is they speak on? A lot of ways, a lot of reasons, a lot of process that many of them go through to be able to decide what it is that God would have them share. And when I knew I had that one Sunday, I kept saying to God over and over again, what do you want me to say? What is it during that one Sunday, a break from other things, we're not in a series anymore, we're standing on a own, what is it you want to say? And almost immediately when I said that, I heard a life well lived. And then I stopped for a moment and I said, a what? And I kept hearing in my head, a life well lived, it's your choice. And so for two weeks, literally for two weeks, I kept going before God, what do you want me to say on this particular Sunday on the 17th? And he continued to confirm that in my spirit, didn't hear the audible voice, in my spirit, a life well lived, it's your choice. And I began to wonder why. Why that particular subject, why this particular Sunday, or why now? A life well lived, it's your choice. Now, honestly, I, I ran through my own mind about the issues of my own life. It could have been the fact that in the last five weeks, I've done seven funerals. And so it began to sink in. A life well lived. 
And I had the opportunity to share in a number of contexts. That's what these flowers are even here this morning from. And Sue Guthrie's funeral, I had the opportunity to talk about that, a life well lived. Could have been watching my own parents age as I have done that now over the last few years and have watched that transition take place. Could be my own stage of life. My wife doesn't like it when I say this, but I keep realizing every once in a while in the last year, three quarters of my ministry life is over. I was hired in the mid-70s, and that's a long time ago. And I kept thinking, what's it going to be like for the last 12 years of my ministry life? What is it going to look like? How's it going to end? I began to think about my grandchildren and wondered what their future is going to be like. What is it going to be like for them? Some of you may know this, some of you may not, but my oldest daughter, Eric and Aaron, or Aaron and Eric, her husband, are in the process of adopting a second child. Born a couple of weeks ago. Again, the same birth mother, different father, and called them a few weeks ago, and she said, I have chosen you, I want you to raise this little one, as only God would have it in his timing. It happens to be the half-brother of Julian, our first one. And so they called us and said, would you pray? And we did, and we all felt peace, and we said yes, they said yes. And two weeks ago, I think on a Friday, Isaac Michael was born. And a few, weeks, a few days after that, they took him home. Now they've got a lot of hurdles to go through in this adoptive process, but they're in that journey together, and they're believing this is what God has for them. As I began to think about that process, I recognized the fact that neither of their children and none of our grandchildren at this point are the biological children of our daughters, and I began to wonder, what's going to influence them the most and who they become? What is going to influence these three the most and who they become? Genetics, environment, or the choices they make? Now, I'm in a unique position to look at that. Because most of us in the context of this room here aren't. But I'm in a position to know that none of my three grandchildren at this point are genetically for my children, for my daughter specifically. And so I began to wonder, what's going to influence them the most and who they become? Will it be genetics? Will it be environment? Or will it be the choices they make? Now, obviously, genetics influence how they look. In a Julian's case, genetics has certainly influenced his health condition. But at this point, I'll never have the statement come out of my mouth, you do that just like your dad. Because he's not. Or you, you are just like your mom. Oh, you're not. The one I know. Now, of course, I believe they're going to have incredible environments. And I know environment has an enormous influence on who we become, but we all know kids who grew up in great environments who ruined and wasted their lives and others who grew up under a bridge who lived to make a remarkable difference in this world. I know kids who have spiritual giants as parents who walked away from God. And I know kids who have very little or no spiritual influence at all who really are on fire for God. I'd never embarrass him by saying his name, but the elders and I had the opportunity over the last few weeks to interview members as we always do. And one stood out as a, an unusual bright spot, a junior in high school, just began coming to our church over the last few months, not a heavy influence from the past, but has now decided this is a place I want to get connected to. So he came to every membership class and as soon as membership was over, he called and said, how can I get involved? Because Pastor Denny said in membership class, I need to get involved, so what can I do? This is how I'd like to get involved. And then he called Marge and said, I like offering envelopes because Pastor Denny said we ought to support the church, so could you send those to me? This is a junior in high school. 
who said, I want to get involved. I want to get connected. That's what we said in that membership class that every one of us ought to be. I want to stay connected. I want to serve Christ and I want to support the ministry of this church. So how do I do that? I really do believe, though, that it's the choices we make that have the greatest influence on who we become. Has a lot to do with environment. Certainly has a lot to do with genetics. But I honestly believe that it's about the choices we make and the choices they make are going to have the greatest influence on who we become. Have you ever thought about what you want to be known for? What do you want on your tombstone? Now, you know that I've ridden motorcycles almost all of my life. And my very first church, I naturally rode like everybody else did and had a young man that was in our neighborhood who was kind of wild. Wilder than me, as hard as that is to believe it. And he literally pulled so many wheelies on his motorcycle that he wore off four license plates. Finally, one day he came home after riding kind of wild and crazy, and in his front yard was a tombstone with his name on it, and his birth date, and a dash. It wasn't just simply a tombstone, it had his name on it. He walked in and he said to his dad, What's the deal with a tombstone? He said, I'm telling you. The way you're driving, you're going to need that thing by the end of this year. What do you want to be known for? What do you want someone to say about you? What do you want to say you've accomplished? How do you want to finish life? Now, wherever you are in the stage of life, how do you want to finish life? What do you want somebody to say at your funeral? I want to be honest with you for a minute. Have you ever gone to a funeral and heard a pastor talking about someone and saying so many incredible nice things about them, and you've wondered if you went to the wrong funeral? (laughs) You're looking at your wife, and you're saying, did you read this right now? Were we supposed to be at Thompson Miller? Wouldn't it be amazing if actually every once in a while a pastor stood up at a funeral and said, this was the most miserable man I've ever been around. Folks, I want to be honest with you. She was the most critical person I've ever seen. She criticized everything and everybody. He was the most sarcastic person I've ever been around. Always saw the glass half empty. Nothing was ever good enough. He would never, ever enjoy anyone else's blessing. It was always, it must be nice. I didn't get a raise. Wish I could drive a car like that. She always noticed my mistakes. They never had a kind word to say about anyone. Life was always about them and no one else. You imagine if you went to a funeral and someone said something like that? Now, fortunately, I've never been in a position where I've had to make stuff up at a funeral. And I've never been in a position where I could have been able to say things like that because everybody I ever buried was one of the most wonderful people on the planet. Every once in a while, I have wondered, what is it going to be like someday when I get to that position and I'm doing the funeral service at the end of someone's life and I don't know what to say? Because they may have been. Now, it probably won't be from our church. There'll probably be somebody else that called me and said, would you mind doing a funeral? But I've wondered, why would anyone want to live like this? But if we're real honest, we know some people like that. Who choose for whatever reason or the other to live that way. 
you do know that happiness is a choice. You don't always have to look at the world half empty. I I thought years ago, I don't want to sit in a rocking chair in a nursing home somewhere, gumming my food to death, wishing I would have or should have. The same with attitude. I mean, wouldn't it be awful to, at the end of your life, to know that you've climbed the ladder of life, rung by rung, month after month, year after year, to get to the top of the building to only find that at the end of your life, it was leaning against the wrong building? That'd be tragic, but I see it all the time. That's not only about time spent, it's also about the attitude of life. Do you remember a year and a half ago, maybe two or three years ago, when we began to study in Philippians? There's one verse in that that has stood out in my mind for a long time, always has and probably always will. When Paul said to the Philippian church, every time I think of you, it brings joy. Every time I think about you, it brings joy. Every time I think of you, it brings a smile to my face. Don't you want that to be said about you? Don't you want that to be said about your life? That every time I think of you, it brings a smile on my face. Every time I think about your life, your personality, your responsibilities, your attitude of life, your choices in life, what you've decided to do with your life, I got to believe that every time your parents think about you too, it brings joy. Not just because they were missionaries, because they made some really good choices about life and how to live it and how to serve the God of the universe. I know you know this, but God loves you and I like crazy. You and I are God's masterpiece. Psalm 139 says we are formed by the hands of God. We're not mistakes. We were formed by the hands of God. You knew me even before I was born, he said to Jeremiah. He says that to all of us and about all of us. In Ephesians chapter 2, he said you are God's masterpiece. You are God's workmanship. Handmade by God. Formed and shaped by him. He loves you so much that he not only shapes you and molds you and puts in you what he wants you to be, he loves you so much that he gave his life so that you and I could have life. Everything that you and I have today came at a cost, an incredible cost, the cost of the Son of God. And all the freedom and forgiveness and love and grace and mercy and tenderness and all the things that flow to us from the cross come to us at the cost, the ultimate price that God was willing to pay because he loved us like crazy, that he sent his one and only son so that we could have life and have forgiveness and grace. He not only loves us because of who we are and what we cost, he loves us because of what we can become. He places his spirit in us and he gives us power to reach our absolute full potential to be everything that God's designed us to be, which is really what he says in Ephesians. You are my masterpiece. You were created to do good works. You were created to be a light to the world, a joy to the lives of the people around you. To be better today than you are tomorrow than you are today. To be constantly growing and improving. As I sat last Sunday morning and listened to Pastor Bob share about Paul's life, I began to think about what God's been saying to me over the last couple of weeks in regards to this particular message, and then I thought of Paul. I mean, of all people, when I heard him say, I had no idea what he was going to share until I sat in the first service on Sunday morning, and I began to think about Paul. Here's a guy who may have not started out really well, but he finished in amazing ways. Here was a guy who said, I'm not done yet, but I keep working. 
I'm not where I need to be in Philippians chapter 3, but I'm telling you, I am not giving up. I'm not quitting. I'm doing everything I constantly can to improve every aspect of my life so that I can be all that God's designed me to be so that at the end of my life I can say, I did it. I finished well. I finished right. I did all that God called me to do. I was all he called me to be. When you quit growing, it's over. I mean, there are a lot of people who are living but who don't look like it. There are some who have stopped living, growing, and dreaming. And I mean, to be honest with you, every once in a while, I just want to do the committal service so they can see it. Life is constant, continual growth. When we stop, we've given up. We let go of some of the best days of our life. The memories that people collect in their minds are memories of their growing years. You talk to older people. Talk to them long enough to find out what they concentrate on the most or what they talk about the most. And what you will find in that study, as I've done in the last 30-some years, is that they will talk about the most exciting years of their life, the ones they were growing the most. And if they're talking present as opposed to past, you'll know they're in that journey of constant, continual growing. Where they're not always rehearsing about things gone by, but what they found out yesterday, what they learned about themselves, what they improved, what they read, what they're becoming. I love to be around people like that, who are not always looking backwards, but looking ahead, who recognize where they are and where they want to be, regardless of their generic age, regardless of their genealogical age. They just want to constantly improve and continually get better and let life shine out of them and through them. Who don't get older necessarily, who just keep getting better. And more pleasant to be around, more joyful to be around. Regardless of the circumstances they face, regardless of who they are. They, like the Apostle Paul, don't drag the past around with them. They constantly focus on the future. He said, I keep working toward that day. I keep looking forward to what lies ahead. I strain to reach the end of the race and to do it really well, to be all that God's designed me to be. Do you remember that Billy Graham phrase? I know Campus Crusade uses it as well. Billy Graham's probably one of the most well-known for it when he said, do you know God loves you and has a plan for your life? That's really true. God loves you. God is crazy about us. And has an amazing desire to allow us to be everything we can possibly be. To be the bright spot in anybody's bad day. To be the bright spot in any neighborhood, any community, any area, any workplace, any city. To be a light where God places us. And to be a bright attitude or have a bright attitude about life and where I'm at and what God's doing in my life. Some people think it's so hard to find out what God wants us to do or what he wants us to be, that somehow God placed us in a, in a carnival maze so that we have to try to figure out how to get out, and we bump into all the sides, and we bump into all the places, so we're constantly trying to figure out what it is that God wants us to be and what he's designed us to do. God's on our side. He doesn't want us to live life confused or miserable. He said, I've come to give you life, and I've come to give it to you more abundantly. Something that knowing God's will or design for their life has to be some traumatic experience so that if I don't see signs from heaven or angels in the sky or lightning in the sky or a, a voice from heaven, then, then it's not the voice of God. We think that it has to be moving, emotional, mystical, but to know for sure that that's God's desire for our lives or what it is that we want to be. We don't all have to have an experience like the Apostle Paul that Bob shared last Sunday morning, blinded by light, knocked on a donkey, groping for three days, or a voice from heaven saying, this is what God wants you to be. Jesus went to Matthew 
and said, I want you to follow me. And Matthew said, okay. And he followed him. Walk in the light, Jesus tells us in the book of John, as he is in the light, we'll have fellowship with one another. We make it so complicated and so complex sometimes when God never designed it to be that way. We've all in days gone by heard those television preachers say, if you really want to touch from God, lay your hands on the TV and God will touch you in dramatic ways. I've often wondered if we really want that dramatic experience by God, maybe we ought to stick our hands in the TV, then we'll have a feeling of some kind. It doesn't have to be that way. It's just simply a matter of saying, God, I'm yours. I want to follow you. I want to love you. I want to be like you. And I want others to see you in me. So that no matter where I go or what I do or how I live, others will look at me and know that the love of God is showing, shining from me and flowing in me. I think that it's finding the will of God is something we have to be afraid of. We have this mindset that anything God wants me to be has to be terrible. The greater the risk, the deeper the jungle, the more we sacrifice, then the more we're in the will of God. The psalmist says, delight yourself in God and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Someday we're going to wish we spent more time with our kids. Someday we wish, we're going to wish we would have loved our spouse more. Someday we, we're going to wish we would have poured our lives more into people. Someday we're going to wish that we would have spent more time with God. Someday we're going to wish that we would have had a better attitude. So that somebody who stands at a pulpit like this at a funeral home doesn't have to make anything up but can say they lived life to the fullest. They loved God from their soul. They were so pleasant to be around. They were so enjoyable to experience. They just simply radiated Jesus. And then one day God took them home. Tony Campalo, after interviewing hundreds of people who were over 100, found they had three things in common. They wished they would have played more. They wished they would have risked more. And they wished they would have done things that would have lived on after them. What I have found in life that many will wish they would have had a different outlook on life and would have seen life differently. We have one opportunity to live this life to the absolute fullest. And we have no idea how long we'll have this gift called life. I've said it before and said it on almost every funeral. When I began ministry, I assumed that all the funerals that I would do would be people in their 80s. And then my first five were people 25 and under. And I realized life is so fragile, such an amazing gift, such an uncertain amount. that I want to live it to the fullest I want to love with every fiber of my being. I want to enjoy this gift called life, and I want to radiate Jesus everywhere I go. And I want to have an attitude that people will be drawn toward and not repelled from. Near the end of Paul's life, he said, I did it. I finished well. I kept the faith. I finished my course. Now is laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord himself will give me on that day. And then he said, but not for me only, but for all of us who love his appearing. For some of us to finish well, my encouragement to you, keep going. Because you really are doing an amazing job. You're touching lives where you go. You're a joy to be around. You love life. You love people. 
have a great attitude and a great outlook on life. So my encouragement to you is keep going. You may have another 30 years, you may have one. But keep going. For some, it may be change direction. Bill's classic line down there in the entire section of the youth ministry this summer or this fall and spring has been that whole issue of it really are some, it are some of the decisions that you make in life that determine your destination and the direction of life. And obviously he's been encouraging our students to make some really clear choices because life is filled with thousands of choices. And so he's encouraged them to choose well. And for some it may be to change direction. And for others, it may be, to be really honest with you, to start all over again. To start over again, now this time, with a clear, defined, passionate, consuming relationship with the living Christ. God came to give us life. And to give it to us abundantly. To allow us to live it to the fullest. But to do that, it starts with Christ. Starts with a personal, intimate relationship with the God of the universe who loves you, who made you, who died for you, and places his spirit in you to allow you to become all that God's designed you to be. I hope that's your desire. So that when it's all said and done, you can say, like the Apostle Paul, did it. I finished well. I kept the faith. I was, was exactly with him every day so that I could become all that he wanted me to become. Let's pray. Father, all of us in this room are fragile. Our life is uncertain, and the end of our life is uncertain. We may think we can predict it. We may think we have some control over it, but most of us, if we're real honest, know we don't. And so I ask right now in the name of Jesus and by the power of the cross that for these next couple of moments, you'll help us just to look inside and, and look at who we are and how we come across and what we want to be known for what it is that you're doing in our lives, how you're shaping us and molding us to be more and more like Christ every day. Lord, I, I trust that you by your power will speak to us. There are some in here this morning that are just in incredible places in their lives who love where they are, love what they're doing, love who they've become and who they're becoming. I trust you'll encourage them. Not a one of us in here that wouldn't say we want to be a little better. We all know that, but I... Trust that you'll encourage them today. For those that need to make some really hard decisions about some directional changes in their lives, whether it be attitude or life choices or career choices or whatever that may be, I, I, I just ask, oh God, that you'll give them the courage to make those right choices because they have a huge bearing on who they become and how they finish. And for that one or two in here that just doesn't know you, they, they know about you, they, they, they know what you offer, they just don't know where to begin. Help them to begin with you. Today will be the day they recognize that you're the God of the universe who loves them and cares about them, who died on a cross for them. Draw them in, Father, by the power of your Spirit. And may they recognize that today could be the greatest day of their life as they begin a journey with you that will change their end for all eternity. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Brad's going to sing a closing song and uh, listen very clearly to the words. If, if you want to make some of those changes, just do it where you're at. Spend some time with God.
You want someone to pray for you if you're not sure where you're at, especially in your relationship with God? It determines your eternal destination. You don't want to mess with that one. John said, I've written all this so you can know you have eternal life. The last thing you want to be uncertain about is where you're going to spend eternity. And if you're not sure about that, I'd love to let you find Jesus this morning. It'll change not only your life now, it'll obviously change your eternity. But it can make an incredible difference now if you'd come and find a Christ that you've been looking for. And we're here for that. To admit you're a sinner in need of a Savior. And he's the one, the only one, that can rescue you, redeem you, and set you free. I'd love for you to come and find him this morning. Brad?